Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Hey, turn to somebody and say, you look great today. Now turn to that same person and say, you need glasses. Just kidding. Hey, it's great to see you here today. So glad you're here at the Bridge Church. Just delighted you've joined us. And if you're watching online, thanks for joining us today as well. Thank you so much. And I just want to say, if it's your very first time here, we're really especially glad you're here today. There are a lot of great churches in this valley, and we believe this is one of the good ones. And we're just so happy you're here today. If you've got any questions out that first set of doors to immediately to your right, that we have an information center set up there. Stop by the information center. They can answer any questions you might have. And also, uh, if you're needing more information and that you don't get there, check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. Those of you watching online especially, also the Bridge Church app for your phone. You can stay in touch with everything going on at the Bridge Church. Really glad you're here today. Can we put our hands together and welcome our first-time guest? Wow, how about having Bridge Youth in service with us today? Yeah. It's good to have some rowdy ones here. Yeah, you guys can say amen real loud every now and then whenever you want to. And uh, as Pastor Corey says, we're not here to beat you up. We're here to... Ooh, that was a little weak. <laughs> Pastor Corey will do it later. He's like the, 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 the puppeteer. You guys will jump in and, and scream when he does. Hey, really, I'm glad you're here today. Let me introduce a couple of special guests we've got here with us today. Many of you know Jim and Pam King, who are dear friends of ours. Jim preaches for us every couple of years. Uh, and Eric, his son-in-law, and Natalie, their daughter, they're here with us in service today. He's preached for us before, did a big youth conference a few years ago. They're with us. You guys stand up. We just want to say thanks for being here today. If you get a chance, meet them after service. And uh, they're here from Austin, Texas. I was, I, was praying, I was praying this week for them. And as I was praying, I said, God, you know, Eric and Natalie are going to be here from Austin, Texas. And God says, huh, I've never been there. Interesting thing. Just kidding. Just kidding. But they're trying to get God there. All right. So much. Uh, I've offended all the Texans. Let's see. Who can I go to next? Uh, open your Bible to 1 Samuel 30. I'm just kidding. Jim, uh, Natalie's father, he's from Oklahoma, and God sent him to Texas. So he's on a missionary journey, and uh, he's, you can take that home to Jim from me, okay? He'll appreciate that. 1 Samuel 30, I want to talk to you today in this continuation of our group of messages. Not really a series, it's a group of messages. They're not uh, directly connected. I want to talk to you today about dealing with devastation. For young people, you may be sitting here thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm 15 years old and I'm going through a devastated time. Let me tell you something. Devastation comes at different times in life. It comes in different forms. We're going to look specifically today at an event from the life of David. When I say David, speaking in the Bible terms, everybody thinks of the giant killer. Or you think of the shepherd out on the hillside taking care of the sheep, or you think of King David with a crown on his head. You think of all these great things that David did. But the truth of the matter is, David also had a lot of moments of desperation. He had some difficult days. 
David, from the time he was anointed to become king over Israel, it was about 15 years or so before he actually became king. And in those days, there were many days when King Saul, who was the present king, was trying to kill him. So he learned to dodge spears. He learned how to run and hide for his life. And God protected him. He had a lot of desperate moments. There was one time when David was even living and hiding in a cave trying to escape the wrath of King Saul. It was in that cave that he wrote Psalms 142. And you don't need to turn there, but I want to refer to it for a moment. Psalms 142, David said, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. How many of you think if you were running for your life, hiding in a cave, you might be crying out to God? It was a desperate moment for David. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. He said, I'm asking God to protect me. I'm asking God for what I need while I'm hiding from the enemy. David had a lot of those days. Hiding from the enemy, fighting battles, trying to sustain his life until he became king of Israel. But today I want to zero in on one specific incident in this time period before David took the throne of Israel. And what had happened was David and his small army, a few hundred soldiers, had established a camp at a place called Ziklag. Z-I-K-L-A-G. Ziklag. Everybody say Ziklag. So David and his men had established this camp at a place called Ziklag, and it was the place they would go back to, and they had their families there. They had all of their earthly goods here at this place called Ziklag. And then one day, David took his army with him, and they went to the Philistines, and they asked the Philistine king if he would give them asylum there in his nation. And he said, no, I, I would love to receive you, but my other leaders don't want you here. They're afraid of you, so no, you can't stay here. So David went on the journey back to Ziklag. And Scripture tells us that while he was away, he had left the city of Ziklag unprotected. And an enemy came in, took all of their goods, took all of their wives, their children, all their families, everything they owned. They stole it, and then they burned the city to the ground. A real devastating time. But look, if you would, at these verses from 1 Samuel 30, verse number 1. Let's read together. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Number one, I, I want to talk for a couple of moments about the Ziklag experience. The Ziklag experience. Because the truth of the matter is, in this life, there are going to be moments when things happen that are beyond our control, things that happen that are very unexpected. Let me ask you a question today. Have you ever been ziklagged? You ever been ziklagged? 
Have you ever been off trying to take care of business and you left everything at home and you walked away thinking everything was secure there and you didn't protect it well and you came back only to find that a disaster had struck unexpectedly? You ever had that happen? Sometimes in life, we get blindsided. Sometimes things happen that we did not see coming. And in this situation, David and all of his army, I mean, they've been on the run for months and months as it is. Now, here they are losing everything they've ever owned, every one of them, including their families. What a horrible moment. You know, the enemy tends to hit us in unexpected, unprotected places. And when that happens, devastation always sets in. And you know, when devastation sits in, we feel like, you know what, life is never going to be the same again. I thought I was going here, I was on this pathway, now this has happened, and I can't go there now, it's all over with, my life is destroyed, I'm never going to have all the things I thought I was going to have. Devastation tends to set in. And if you've ever been ziklagged, let me tell you, you're not alone. Hate to give you bad news, if you've never been ziklagged, Get a smile on your face because your day is probably coming. Because we cannot control everything that happens in life. Ziklag can come from the words of a doctor, the words of a spouse, the words of a child, the words of extended family members. Ziklag can come from a boss or something job related. Ziklag can come from a total stranger. But we cannot control everything that happens in our lives. The question is, what are we going to do when ziklag strikes? Number two, I want to go to verse four, and I want to talk about our reaction to devastation. And with Bridge Youth in here today, as I was preparing my message last night, I was thinking, you know, with Bridge Youth in here, I like to try to add something in every message that really applies to the youth. But I'm going to tell you, young people, God does not want devastation to destroy your life. There are going to be tough things that happen in life, but you don't have to live a devastated life. We're going to talk about that today. Verse 4 says this, Then David and the people who were with him, notice what they did, they lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. What a devastated moment. Verse 5, and David's two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had also been taken captive. So David lost his family. Verse 6, now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Number one, we talked about the Ziklag experience. Number two, I want to talk about the reaction to devastation. When you get Ziklagged, what's your first reaction? Well, can I just say one thing today before I start with this section? The reason we don't always react well to devastation is because we are human beings. Turn to somebody and say, you're pretty human. Except for those antennas growing out of your forehead, the rest of you looks pretty normal. When unexpected attacks come, we tend to be overtaken 
by our emotions. That's because we're human. With the human body, you know, the body, the soul, the spirit, with that soulish man comes emotions. And when something unexpected and devastating happens, suddenly our emotions rise up and they begin to rule our lives. You notice in verse 4, it said that David and his men, they wept, they raised their voices, they cried out. These are grown men. These are warriors. These are mighty men of battle. But they wept and wept and wept until they had no more tears to cry. Has anybody in the house had that moment where you reach the place where there was just nothing left in the tear ducts. I've cried it all out and I don't know where to go from here. When our emotions take over, that sense of devastation causes us to dig a hole and climb in the hole and we see that there is no way forward from here. This happened to David and his men. Here's the thing, emotions are real. Your emotions are real but the flip side is your emotions will also lie to you. Because your emotions, when things are going well, you think things are so much better than they really are. When things are not going well, you think things are 100 times worse than what they are. That's what emotions do. They rise up and they push us in a direction. David's experiencing that. He's broken. He's wept. His men are weeping. Now they want to kill him. Things are tough and emotions are driving their lives but emotions lie to us and our emotions cause us to believe lies like this my life is done my future's over i got nothing to live for i may as well end it all now because there's no hope for me that's what our emotions will tell us and if we leave them unchecked our emotions only dig a deeper emotional pit they only take us further down as we allow them to rule our lives. If we don't check our emotions, our vision is clouded and we can't see the future. We can't see where to go and how to go. We can't see any hope ahead of us. Emotions will cause us to give up because we see nothing in front of us. Not only that, if we don't check our emotions, the next thing we do is begin to, begin to blame other people for our problems. That's what happened with David. You'll notice that David is weeping. David's crying. He's in the crowd. They're all devastated and hurting. But David really gets desperate when they start saying, maybe we just need to kill David and move on without him. That's what emotions do. They look for someone to blame. And when devastation comes our way unexpectedly, we arrive at that moment where we begin to point fingers because we can't accept what has happened to us. But talking about that Ziklag reaction, let me bring you some good news today. Your Ziklag experience does not have to become your permanent address. You don't have to live in that hole and that devastation forever. There is a way out. Number three, I want you to look at verse number six, same chapter. We talked about a reaction to devastation but I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes about a correct response to devastation. Look at verse 6. The last part says what? But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. I want you to read that with me. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Say it one more time. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. 
What did David do when the devastation hit him and it looked like they wanted to take his life? He stopped and he began to renew his life and re-strengthen himself. One translation says, encourage himself in the Lord his God. In other words, the best thing you can do when devastation strikes is once you get through the emotions, pull God into the pit with you. Because God knows the way out. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, we talked about the Ziklag reaction. Now I want to talk about response because there's a difference between a reaction and a response. A reaction is instantaneous. It's bam, oh, I begin to weep, I begin to cry, oh, I can't believe this happened, oh, I can't believe we start digging this pit and we crawl in this hole, oh, woe is me, I don't know what I'm going to do from here. That's a reaction to devastation. But how do we respond to the moment once the shock has settled in? Well, reaction is calculated. A reaction is this is what's happened. What do I do? Where do I go from here? David strengthened himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. David looked to God and said, God, there's got to be something here I don't see, something here I don't know. You have to know something about this that I don't see, so I need to know what you know. Now, I want to talk about our reactions and our response to God. We talked about that initial, re, you know, that knee-jerk reaction, that first response when something happens. But let me talk about what we do after the shock. When we're under attack, we tend to allow our emotions to make our decisions. That's why our first response is to point fingers, to blame, to say there's no way out. But how do we move forward from there? How do we overcome the emotions that are trying to govern and rule our lives? How do we make decisions that aren't controlled by emotions? You know, when we're under attack, we tend to assume that our temporary setback is permanent. When you're in the hole, when you're in the pit, it's easy to just give up and say, I'm never going to get out of here. It's not going to happen. That's a reaction. How do you move forward? Another thing we tend to do when we're under attack, and everybody needs to hear this one. It's a big one. When we're under attack, we tend to assume that we missed God and we need to change all of our theology to fit our situation. It's amazing how many people do that. Even Christians who've been walking with God for years. Something comes in, the enemy blindsides them, and what do they do? Well, I guess it's just God's will to take away everything from me. Can I tell you something? God is a good God. God has better plans for you than you have for yourself. That we have an enemy, Scripture calls him the devil. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't need to blame God for the things that the devil does in your life. When the devil steals away, Jesus said he came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. Get your eyes off of God and stop blaming him and put the blame on the enemy. And then stop and say, God, where do I go from here? It's amazing how many people blame God. Yeah, sometimes I listen to people talk and I think, boy, poor God. You know, when he does good things, we take the credit. When bad things happen, we blame him for it. 
Don't change your theology to fit your situation. Take your situation and say, what does God's word say about this situation? How do I move forward from here? God is a good God. You know, encouragement, strength begins when I stop. When I clear my head and clear my heart and I climb out of the hole and I begin to remember the promises of God. I got to stop. I got to clear my head. I got to clear my heart. I got to stop and say, okay, this has happened. My emotions ruled me for a moment, but how do I move forward from here? And I put my heart and my mind on what God's promised to me and ask him, how do I go forward from right here? Encouragement and strength begin when I climb out of that pit. God, what's next? Through my years as a pastor, my greatest personal pains as a pastor, and I'm talking about personal situations, but my personal greatest pains as a pastor has come when I've dealt with people who had situations in life happen beyond their control and they were devastated. And there was this huge bomb that landed in their lives and blew everything up and there's this huge crater and they're sitting in this crater devastated and you come and reach down to grab them and pull them out of the hole and they basically say, no, I don't want to get in the hole. I just want to stay here the rest of my life. Breaks my heart. You know why? Because God never intended you to stay in the devil's pit. He intended for you to rise up out of that pit and go on to something greater and better with his help. You don't have to stay in the pit David, it says, inquired of the Lord. Now, you've got to get this. First, he stops and considers, okay, this has happened. But God has anointed me to be king. That hasn't all happened yet. So God still has a plan. Okay, I need to go to God and get my heart set on the fact that God's got better plans than this. Number two, he inquires of the Lord. He stopped and he said, God, where do I go from here? Now, when you read it in Scripture there, it's, it's really interesting because he inquires of the Lord and he begins to seek God's will. And God begins to answer his prayer. You know, I talked to you earlier about inquiring or, or about being in the pit and, and trying to find your way forward from here. It's amazing what happens in our most desperate moments. It's amazing what happens when we stop clear our thoughts and say, God, what's next? Where do I go? David inquired of the Lord to get his direction. This week, before I even started working on this message, there was something that God dropped in my heart. And and I have wrestled with this all week. And I thought, maybe it belongs in a message, maybe it doesn't. But there's somebody in this service today, there may be several of you, that you need to hear this today, fresh for yourself. God has not abandoned you. He's not abandoned you. You know, my first reaction when devastation hits, where's God? Sometimes we can't see the hand of God because God's not doing it. But where is God in my devastation, in my pain, in my hurt? Where is God? Friend, Some of you prayed that prayer this week. Where's God? God sent this pastor to you today to tell you he's right there. He has not abandoned you. 
book of Hebrews, the writer wrote the words that Jesus promised us. He would never leave us. He would never forsake us. He'd be with us always. He'll come to us is what Jesus himself promised in John's gospel. God has not abandoned you. Seek him. Ask for his will. God knows the way out from here. You know, earlier when I started my message, I read from Psalms 142. It's that psalm that David wrote when he was in the cave. And he says, I cried out to God. I cried out to God. I cried out to God. Well, a little bit later in that same psalm, here's what he said. I cried out to you, O Lord, and I said, you are my refuge and my portion. In the land of the living, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. See, one of the things we must do is once we gather our senses and we look to God, we need to approach God with faith and confidence that he hears us and he does know the way out from here. Not only do we seek God, but we begin to recite, God, you've made these promises to me. I don't know how we get from here to there. I didn't see this coming, but I believe you know the way. So, God, I'm coming to you today. See, a lot of people go to God in desperation. Oh, God, everything's wrong. Everything's ugly. Just pick me up and, you know, take me away from here and drop me down on a tropical island somewhere. God's like, no, 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 no. I've got a better way out for you. It's not just to escape. It's to restore what God has promised to you. Now, I want to show something to you. Look at, at 1 Samuel 30, same chapter. Skip down to verse 17. David has gone in and he's asked the priest to bring him the, the vest that the priest wears from which they get answers from God. Yes and no direction answers. David gets this vest on and he asks the Lord, Okay, shall I pursue the enemy? Shall I overtake them? What's going to happen with all of this? The word of the Lord comes and says, yes, pursue them, overtake them, and recover all that was lost. Now, I want you to notice in verse 17 what happens. Then David attacked the enemy from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. Verse 19, notice this. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. I want you to say those last three words with me. David recovered all. See, our emotions cause us to take in disappointment and devastation and say it'll never be the same. But what we miss is God is a God of restoration. God is a God who's able to give back the things that the enemy tries to steal from us. God restores things. And when you look in the New Testament, the word restore and restoration, it speaks of God taking you back to where you got off track and putting everything right back in place so you can move forward. 
And a lot of times when devastation hits us, we begin to count our losses. We say, well, I never had this. I'll never have this. I'll never have this. Life will never be the same. No, 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 no. We need to understand God is a God of restoration. And he is able to recover all that's been stolen from us by the enemy. That's the nature of our God. That's the nature of our God. But here's the interesting thing. God gave them directions. David and his men, God gave them directions. David and his men followed God's directions. One of the interesting things you find about walking with God, if you, if you walk with God and you seek him with all your heart, one of the things you'll learn is oftentimes when you ask God for help, he will almost always give you instructions to follow. Oh God, I'm in this devastating moment. The enemy's taken away my family, my goods, everything, and I don't know where they're at. And God, I, I just pray that you'd go find them and bring them back to me and drop them back here and rebuild this city that's been burned down. And God, I'm going to close my eyes and you wave your magic wand and everything's going to be okay like it never happened. That's how childlike sometimes our faith is. We don't understand that usually when we ask God for something miraculous, God will give us directions or instructions and say, here, here's some steps of faith you need to take to walk this thing out with me. Faith is always going to be a verb. It's always going to be action. It's not just what's between my ears or what's in my heart. It's what's so strong in me that it causes me to take steps towards my answer. David and his men had to chase down the enemy, find them, though they were tired and weary, though they were hurting inside. They found the enemy. They fought for 24 hours. But when the battle was over, they brought back everything that had ever been taken with them. And it was all restored, what the enemy had stolen. That's the God that we serve. And my point here is this. In this entire message, there is nothing the enemy can do that God can't undo. Nothing. Nothing. But we have to stop our reactions, take the correct response, ask God, where do I go from here, and then follow his directions, and God will walk us into victories. He's a God of restoration. There are people in this house right now, and I'm almost finished, so listen closely. There are people in this house, you've been through some devastation. I listened to somebody who, who texted me after first service, actually, and told me, he said, you know what? Back during the recession, all these bad things happened to me, but I'm continuing to walk with God and trust God, and I'm seeing him bring things back one step at a time. Let me tell you something. God's a God of restoration. Don't give up on God because he's not giving up on you. You know, my mind... In these moments, like a lot of Bible teachers, my mind goes to Job. You know, Job, his, his life was amazing. Job lived in a day when he had no scripture to learn from. It's probably the oldest written book in the Bible. There was no scripture for him there. There was no old covenant or new covenant yet. None of that had happened. And yet scripture says that in all of his problems and trials, Job never lost his integrity. Even though he saw his family taken. He saw his wife leave him. He lost everything that he had and he was the richest man in his part of the world. In the middle of all of that, without any written scripture to direct his life, he cried out to God and God directed his footsteps. 
Even when his friends came and began to give them all their theologies, well, you must have messed up somewhere. You must have done this. You must have done that. And they poured all this nonsense into his life. All he knew to do was say, I just know my Redeemer lives in some way, somehow, God's going to turn this all around. And Scripture says, and here's the amazing thing, you talk about Job, most people talk about, boy, he lost everything. He was the richest man in his part of the world. He lost everything. He lost it all. They failed to go back and read to the end of the book. At the end of the story, Job had twice as much as he'd ever lost at the beginning because God's grace and God's hand was upon him because God is a God of restoration. And friend, I'm telling you, I don't care what you're dealing with today. I don't care what has happened in your life. I don't care how devastating it is. It's okay to cry your eyes out. But once the tears stop, you need to climb out of that hole and say, God, I don't know where and how to go, but I'm looking to you because I believe you are the God of restoration. You're the God of restoration. And today, I, I want to pray. I want, I want to pray a twofold prayer. First of all, I want to pray for those who are devastated then i want to pray for those who are looking for direction so if you're devastated both parts of this prayer are going to work for you if you've already climbed out of the hole and you're wondering what do i do now this prayer is for you too but i'm going to ask everybody here to just close your eyes for a moment let me pray for you father in jesus name we've read the power of your word we've read this story we've talked about it we believe you're a god of restoration Father, I also know there are people in this room today who are hurting. Their hearts are broken. Things have happened that are unfair. Things have happened that in some cases are disgraceful. People have been ambushed by the enemy. They're sitting in a hole today saying, God, where do I go? What do I do? They're weeping and crying inside. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would come you said you'd never abandon us. Right now, meet them right where they are. Begin to strengthen their hearts and rebuild their hearts and their confidence. Father, I pray today you'd give them the strength to step out of that hole and say, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to stay here. This is not going to be my permanent address. I believe God has better plans. God, I pray you right now would just reach down and grab their hand and lift them up out of that place of despair. Begin to speak courage to their hearts. And Father, the second prayer I pray is this. I ask that you would speak to every person here today who's been through a zigzag, who's been to a place of devastation, and they're trying to put the pieces back together. Father, let them know they don't have to do it by themselves. You will direct their footsteps if they'll open their hearts to you. And Father, I pray for every person who's rebuilding right now, who's going through a time of restoration. Every hurting heart, I pray right now, that as we look to you and seek your face, that you would begin to speak your steps of faith into our hearts right now. Speak to us, Father. Show us the steps of faith we need to take to walk toward our victory and our restoration. God, speak those steps of faith. Just take a moment and listen to God's voice for a moment. Let him speak to your heart about your steps of faith. Father, just as you told David, pursue, overtake, recover all. I pray right now you would give every person here a plan of action, a plan of faith of how to move forward into the future with your promises in their eyes, 
knowing that your word cannot fail. Father, I praise you today. I praise you today. Right in the middle of our greatest destruction, you can turn it all into victory. We trust you today. While heads are bowed, one more moment. Maybe you're here today and you've listened to this and you've thought, well, you know, that's great. Great story and that's a great application, but I don't know God. Maybe you feel like, you know, I've never, I've never really given my life to God. I've never been into religion. Well, let me first of all set you at ease. I don't like religion either, but I'd love to introduce you to God who cares about you, who loves you, and bring you into a relationship with him where you can know him as your own father. I'd love to help you with that today. Truth of the matter is, God loves you so much that even at your worst moment, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for your sins so that everything that was wrong with you would be thrust on Jesus and everything that was right with him could be poured into your life. We received that by faith. God's made that promise. He's extended that grace. But it's by faith we reach up and receive it. And it starts with an invitation. It starts with words. We call it prayer, but it's just words, communication with God. God extends that forgiveness to you. God calls you into his family, but you have to say, God, I'm in. I want you and I need you in my life. Right there where you are, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to ask everybody in the house to pray this prayer with me. Just wrap your faith around these words. You don't have to scream the words, but everybody pray this prayer right out loud. And say, God, I need you. And I open my life to you. Come fill my life. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. I want to know you. I want you to become my father. And I want to be your child. So from this day forward, I'll learn your ways. I'll walk with you. And I believe you'll do great things in my life. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before Pastor Corey comes up, let me do one more thing. If you prayed that prayer today and you've never accepted the Lord, or maybe you're just the prodigal and you've been on the run, we got a little gift we want to give you. Simple reading, a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just a little bit of reading for each day that will help you start your relationship with God. We want to give it to you. Two ways you can get it. Number one... When we're finished in a few minutes, there'll be prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. But if you just walk up to one of these teams, and they're just everyday people like you and me, walk up to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there. No strings attached. Don't need anything from you. Don't need driver's license, social security number, email address, nothing. Not even shoe size, okay? We want to give it to you. It's our gift to you. But here's the point. We feel like it's our responsibility not just to introduce you to God, but let you get started walking with Him. And I promise you, this will help you. So come up to one of these prayer teams. Just ask for the book. They'll give it to you right there. If you've got questions, they can answer questions. If you want prayer for something else, they can help you. Or if you're in a really big rush, you can go out to the center of the lobby. And just as you exit the glass doors, there's a counter right in the middle. Stop by there. You can get the same booklet there. It's our gift to you. God bless you. We love you. Thank you so much. Can we welcome new believers into God's family today? God bless you. Pastor Corey. Hey, can we say thank you to Pastor Gary for such an amazing message this morning?
Hey, this is our moment in service where we get to worship God through our giving. And uh, I just want to echo one thing that Pastor Gary um, said, and, and you'll see that there's different options on the screen to give. But Pastor Gary said something so significant. He said, God has not abandoned us because we serve a faithful God. Would anybody say God has been faithful to you? You know, I have, um, I have a lot of family and a lot of friends who aren't Christians, and often um, one of the things that's most abstract to them um, is tithing. And I've had even close family members who will, who will ask me, Corey, you really give your first 10% to God? Like every time? And it's so, it's so abstract to them. And when they ask the big question, why, I always respond with, well, God's been so faithful to me, it just makes sense to be faithful in return. And man, can I just say thank you so much for your faithful generosity. This morning, um, we had 17 baptisms in the first service and then 38 in the second service. And I'm just a youth pastor, but I think the math there is 55. At the end of today, 55 people have been baptized. And can I just say, as your youth pastor, thank you for your generosity because this morning I had kind of a surreal moment as I was over here baptizing teenagers and over my right shoulder, we had a teenager leading us in worship as well. Not Pastor Aaron, he's definitely not a teenager. <laughs> but one of our very own teenagers leading us in worship as well. That is amazing. And, and this type of ministry, it really takes place because of faithful givers like yourself. So thank you for your generosity. Our, our ushers are going to get ready to receive the offering this morning. And as you give, give in confidence knowing this. God is faithful. He has not abandoned you. And as we give this morning, let's watch church news together. special welcome today. We hope that you feel right at home this morning and that you and your family have a great experience. Church is so much more than a place we go on Sundays. Church is who we are. There is always a lot happening at the bridge and we want to do more than just tell you about it. We want to give you the opportunity to be involved. Here's a look at a few things coming up in the days ahead. We hope you'll find your place and be a part of what God is doing here at the bridge. Hey guys, the April edition of Bridgeman is coming up on Tuesday, April the 9th. Every man is invited to join us for this fun night as we dive into God's Word and enjoy the fellowship of other guys growing in their faith. We have two more gatherings left this spring and we would love for you to come as we gear up for the season finale in May. Even if it's your first time, you're always welcome to join us. 
Evening starts at 6.30 p.m. when drinks and snacks will be served. So bring some friends and join us on Tuesday, April 9th for Man's Man. we want to personally invite you to stop by the Connection Center before you go today. Take a few minutes to come say hi. Our team would love to meet you and help you get connected in church life. They can also answer any questions that you might have about the church. For more general info and to stay up to date, be sure to check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv, or download the Bridge app. Finally, if you made a decision to follow Christ today, Come and see one of our prayer teams and get your free copy of The Next 7 Days. You can also stop by The Next 7 Days desk before you exit the building. We want to help you start your walk with God. Thanks again for spending your morning at the bridge. We love being in church with you. Hey, it's been a great morning in church. Let me just uh, throw two things at you before we head out. Um, number one, Easter is right around the corner. How many would say Easter crept up on us this year? I was like, oh, today, tomorrow is April. Like, where'd the first quarter of this year go? We are so excited for Easter this year. This year, we're going to have three services for Easter. We're going to have a service at 8.30, another service at 10, and a service at 11.30. We're so excited about it. We have these invite cards in the foyer. There'll be people uh, handing them out. But also, if you want to get a handful more, visit our Connection Center, grab some, invite your neighbors, invite your friends, family, coworkers, everybody. It's going to be a great, great, great morning. Hey, if this morning you got baptized, we have a photo booth right out in our foyer. We'd love to see you at the photo booth. Take some pictures with your family, with your friends. Have you enjoyed being in church this morning? Awesome. We love spending Sunday with you. Stand to your feet. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week.